Eric J. Bargerhuff said, there is no greater privilege than to proclaim, teach, and unpack the Word of God before God's people and all others who have ears to hear. So I wanted to read that today as a reminder of, of the privilege that I have to be able to do that. It is a beautiful thing to be able to preach and deliver God's Word today. And I have a special message prepared for you guys today. And it's, we're going to be looking at this passage in John, but we're going to be comparing it in some ways to the Scripture reading that I read to you earlier today in Romans 6, 23, that I know many of you probably have memorized. So just to kind of see who knows it and who remembers it, what does Romans 6, 23 say? For the wages of sin is death. And we're going to stop right there. For the wages of sin is death. So that is what we're going to be talking about. This concept of the wages of sin bringing about death in our lives. And in order to explain this well, we are going to be looking at the life of a particular individual, an individual who was born blind. And in order to understand for the wages of sin is death and how I believe this fits into the Misquoting God series, we're going to be in John chapter 9 as we look at this remarkable story of this individual who was born blind who encountered Jesus. So go ahead, if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 9, and we're going to be spending the bulk of our time in there today. We'll be jumping around just a little bit, but mainly in there and comparing that to Romans 6, 23. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to maybe even download one on your phone, or better yet, talk to me after service, and we'd love to be able to get a Bible into your hands. So John chapter 9, verse 1, and it is also on the screen for you there, it says, as he, who is the he that is being referred to here, Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth, okay? His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Interesting. I think we need to take time here because what I'm about to describe to you right now, what we're going to talk about and unpack right now, is oftentimes a way that we still think till today. So what is going on here? So Jesus is traveling and he encounters this person who is born blind. That, is, that could be a similar experience today, right? There are people that we can encounter who have certain um, deficiencies, if you will, handicaps, if you will, that we can encounter and, and, and we can naturally think, why did this happen? So that's exactly what the disciples are doing. They're seeing this individual who is born blind, and they're immediately brought to this question. Who sinned? And what are the two, uh, what are the two in some ways, reasons or options on why this individual was born blind? The, option, the first option that the, that the disciples give, was it this man's fault? And we're going to put this on the screen for you. Or was it his parents' fault? 
Now, this is important to take note of. So they see this man who is born blind, and then they believe what? They believe that his blindness is a direct result of his own fault or his parents' fault, as both options are rooted in what? Sin. Now, I bring this up because this is a problem that I think we still face today, and it was a problem of their own Jewish society. You see, it was common to believe that if there was something going on in your life in a negative way, then that was a result of sin in your life or your family's life. So, for example, let's say you were a woman who couldn't conceive a child, you would look at that as shame and you would start to self-reflect and ask the question, what did I do wrong? And in a similar way, when they look at this man and they see his blindness, instead of seeing just his struggle in life, what do they recognize and what do they go to? They go immediately to the sin in his life or the sin in his parents' life. This is a similar struggle, I believe, to what we deal with today, is it not? We oftentimes can look at the problems that are going on in our lives or the life of someone else, and we do what? We start to judge that person or judge ourselves in thinking that every single pain, suffering, negative experience that we are going to is a byproduct of our own sin and is somehow always related to our own shortcomings. Now, I have a lot to say about that, and I'll talk about it a little bit more in the message, how sin ultimately does bring death, but we in some ways take this concept of the wages of sin is death, and we misapply it, and we think to ourselves that every single negative experience that we go through in life is a result of our own sin. Now, I'm sure if I were to ask everybody in this room to raise their hands, and you don't have to do this, if you've ever thought that before for something that you're going through that is negative, I'm sure every single hand would go up in this room. Because we try to, in some ways, understand the reasons why we go through pain and suffering. And it's easier to think that this is our own fault or the fault of somebody else in playing the blame game than it is to see that there is a bigger picture at work. So let's look really quick at what Jesus has to say about this man and these two options. So the disciples say, Is this a result of this man's sin or his parents' sin? And now look what it says in verse 3, in Jesus' reply to them. Listen to the words of Christ here. He says this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Interesting, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
So what does Jesus do in this situation? Jesus is looking past the only two known options and reasons of their day on why this man would be born blind. And he doesn't credit his illness to any of his sins or his parents' sins. And instead, he tells his disciples that this wasn't his fault. And though it is tragic that this man was born blind, his story would not end in blindness. But that through his pain, God was going to birth a miracle that would be on display, the mighty power of God. It would become a beacon to others that there is a God who looks past or beyond the sins of his people, and a story would be developing through this man's life that would mean something to generations that followed up until today. This leads me to my first point that I'd like to make today, and that is pain is not God's punishment. Pain is not God's punishment. While the wages of sin are death, we need to realize, church, that this story demonstrates that not everything that happens to us in a negative sense is the result of the punishment of God. You see, we have this problem oftentimes where we think God can be a bully to us. Where when we think of God, we kind of think of God as an individual who in some ways is holding the magnifying glass up in the sun and we're the little ants and he's just having fun heating us up and scorching us as we do wrong. But here we see a vivid picture of instead God's great affections for those of us in this world. And we see that we can go through negative circumstances in life and it ultimately not be a punishment from God. You know, as you guys know, I've mentioned it many times, we're, we're celebrating the birth of, of our, our son Everett. And it's been such a blessing to have his addition into the family. And if you're a, a parent or a grandparent, you know the experience of how when you meet that child for the first time, it feels like, like life never existed without the child. There's just this wholeness that comes in your heart, and you're so thankful to be able to enjoy this life. But many parents... Our, uh, us, us included, have also understood the pain of loss of a child. You know, if you didn't know, my wife miscarried before having Everett. And I remember in that time, the natural questions that were being aroused in us, even as Christians that believe God is ultimately trying to work things out in our lives for good, was immediately starting to question, did we do something wrong? And I know that there are other mothers in this room and families in this room who have suffered similar pains. Maybe it's not the pain of a miscarriage, maybe it's the pain of somebody else, something else. A lost opportunity, a lost relative or or someone close to your family, or just some situation that has happened to you that has brought you to question, did I do something wrong? 
I imagine for that blind man, it would have been incredibly difficult for him to navigate his life. Why? Because even if he came to his own understanding of accepting the fact that this wasn't his fault or his parents' fault, he lived in a, whole, a, a world where all of society would never see it any other way. We need to be careful, church, in the way that we think, in the way that we communicate our beliefs to other people because we have the potential of being able to free them through what we believe or continue the burden. Because, I mean, think about it. This belief didn't come from a pagan nation this belief of, was this his parents' fault or his fault, came from where? A nation of supposed God-fearing Israelite people. And in a similar way, what are certain beliefs that we are holding on to, church, that might not be the same exact belief that the Bible truly teaches us or that God is trying to teach us in our lives? You know, for whatever reason, I think we have a hard time being honest with ourselves when it comes to the true way that we feel. You know, my wife is, is pretty quiet. You, you guys know that. She's, I, I'm more of the, the, the social butterfly, the loud and rambunctious person, and, uh, and she's usually just a little bit more reserved, and, and you know, our dynamics is, is kind of funny in that way. But I remember when I was just getting to know my wife and, and we were starting to talk with each other. I was used to playing the cat and mouse game, you know, where, where you give off a little bit and then you hold back and then you just, you know, play that game back and forth. And my wife is a very direct and, and blunt person and, and sometimes she lacks the, 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 the I don't know, uh, just the gentleness. <laughs> and I remember one time in the middle of all of that, she, she just flat out told me, am I wasting my time talking to you? <laughs> but it's funny because so many of us, we struggle to be honest. We play these games with ourselves and we try to, in some ways, um, deceive ourselves or deceive others with how we are struggling and what we are dealing with. You know, after she said that to me, I was just like, whoa, girl, yeah, I like you, but I didn't know things were going to go like that. And uh, it makes me laugh because we have this way of being able to, in some ways, uh, lie to ourselves about our struggles and the things that we are facing. So when I say pain is not God's punishment, what I'm also saying is, is take time to think about the pains that you are going through and ask yourself the question, are there things in your life that you have deceived yourself with? Are there things in your life that, that you have in some ways reshaped the, the, what, what God's perspective is and molded it into something else that he is not even calling you to think like? You know, it's interesting because I think in our attempt to be able to understand things in life, what often ends up, uh, un, ends up happening is, is we're quick to find faults. 
right? This is a struggle that every single one of us faces. There's this famous poem, and I won't read it today, or it's, it's more of a story about a father and a son and, and what that relationship means like. It, it's an old one, and, and I'd love to read it for you one day, but there's a line in it where he says, he asks his son for forgiveness and shame because he realized, about, he realized that he gave into the habit of finding fault. Do you struggle with the habit of finding fault? What do I mean by that? Well, many of us, we, have, we form habits, right? Some of those habits can be really good habits, like I like to brush my teeth, <laughs> or I like to take a shower, or I like to exercise, or I read my Bible every morning. Those could be good habits, but we can also form negative habits, Right? Things that we get used to doing, that it becomes such a rhythm in our life that it it ultimately ends up being a habit. Well, what about the habit of finding fault, where we almost immediately go to fault-finding in ourselves or in other people? I think in some ways that was the culture that the blind man was living in. He was living in a culture of fault-finding where every single time an individual did something wrong, everybody was very quick to point out sin and to condemn and find faults. I think it's amazing because here you have this incredible picture of people that are surrounding this man who are religious leaders, who are finding faults, and then yet you have right there God himself. One of my favorite scriptures out of the Gospels comes from Mark 2.17. It says this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I read this verse to you because I think it should encourage you in realizing that while sin in this world exists and while each and every single one of us has a sin problem without Christ, that ultimately Christ has come into this world to do what? To be the great physician to those of us who are sick. I love that. Let's keep reading. John 9, 6. He says that after saying this, he spit on the ground and he made some mud with his saliva and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begged, asking, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. 
How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, there's a lot happening here that is pretty funny to me and that I think should in some ways make us laugh. So Jesus does this remarkable thing where he totally flips the scripts and he says, hey, you think there's only two options on why this guy was born blind? Well, I'm going to show you that there's a third option, that I'm going to use this guy's story to be able to glorify my name and glorify the name of God. And what ends up happening? He goes and he spits on the ground that's probably not what doctors would do today, but this is what Jesus does. So he goes and he spits on the ground, makes some mud, rubs it on his eyes. He goes and he washes, and then what happens? He's healed, and he could see. You know, I don't know why God did that. He could have snapped his fingers and he could have seen, but for whatever reason, this was the process through which God wanted to institute healing in this man's life. Now, after this happens, they don't even recognize him. They don't even, they're looking at somebody that they've probably seen hundreds of times, if not more, and yet when they see this man restored, there's a sense of them not even being able to recognize him. Okay, I think that can preach, right? (laughs) What do you think this could preach to? This could preach to the point that in some ways when we get restored, hopefully there is a sense of, of, of people not being able to recognize us, Amen. In the reality that when God does a work of restoration in, in life, hopefully it brings a sense of wholeness to us that when you compare us to the past version of who we are, were, to the current person of who we are now, there's a sense of who is this person in front of me? And in maybe some small way, we're seeing that with this blind man being restored. We're seeing a sense of him not being recognizable anymore to the people that would have known him. But what's even more funny is they ask him, well, where is Jesus? And he says, well, I don't know. Well, why would he know? Because he was blind up until a couple minutes ago. (laughs) He doesn't even know what Jesus looks like. What a picture of how God works, though. See, we might not necessarily see God in the material world that we live in, yet we see the markings of his work. And where do we see it most? Through the story of our lives. Amen? See, even though Jesus isn't physically walking today like he was in this time, he's still present through the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. You know, in seminary school, I remember reading that we are going to do greater things, the scripture says this, that we're going to be able to do greater things than Jesus, and we would all talk as seminary students and say, well, I don't get that. I'm not raising anybody from the dead. I'm not really doing what Jesus is doing. But one of the the reasons why I believe that scripture exists is because ultimately what Jesus was able to provide for us through his life, death, resurrection, and through the sending of his Holy Spirit is what? the ability for each and every single one of us globally, whoever claims the name of Christ, 
to do what? To be able to live out his mission through the power of the Holy Spirit in this world. So one of the most beautiful things that we can do is offer our lives as a testimony to others. This is why I believe it is so important for us to take inventory of the pains and the struggles that we are going through. And to not just go to a place where we think of that scripture for the wages of sin are, is death and immediately go into this negative mindset of I must be going through this because I did something wrong and fight, finding fault in ourselves or finding fault in other people. But ultimately ask the question, how could I use this as an opportunity to be able to glorify God? Because you see, because through our weakness and suffering, God makes a torn up person who is suffering a mirror that will reflect his glory. It is remarkable and unlike anything else in this world, Jesus Christ, unlike anyone else, gives you meaning to your suffering. He allows you to look at your pain and eventually know that God will use it as a platform to bring forth his glory. And so many of us have seen this already, right? We all probably at least know of one person in our lives who has been able to use the pain that they go through as a way to be able to minister to other people. Church, there is a story in your life that you have not tapped into yet that could bring hope and healing and restoration to somebody else. And that suffering and that pain that sometimes you might hide away because maybe you think that pain is associated with a total uh, neglect or abandonment from God. Perhaps God is using this sermon today to remind you of that, not to bring condemnation to your life, but to allow that to be something that can reflect the glory of God. This brings me to my second point. Through our pain, we become mirrors of glory. C.S. Lewis, in The Problem of Pain, he writes this, we are, not, we are, not metaphorically, but in very truth, a divine work of art, something that God is making, and therefore something with which he will not be satisfied until it has a certain character. What does Lewis mean by that? He means that God looks at us as this holy artwork of creation, and he's going to continue to work in our lives until we develop a certain character, a certain sense of beauty of what he wants our lives to be able to betray to the world that is in front of us. God wants to use your pain and struggle. He wants to take the scars of your life, no matter how tragic they may be, and reflect His glory through it. See, after the blind man was eventually healed, he, he was brought in to speak to the Pharisees who were very upset over His healing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that this person was literally dealing with this ailment for all of his life, having to live life as a beggar, and then he's restored and healed and he can see again? And then he's brought in front of people not to celebrate this moment, but to do what? To find fault, to criticize. 
Because why? Because these people were in a habit of finding fault. And that literally people are being upset over one of the most miraculous things to ever have occurred in the history of the world, but they brought him into the synagogue and began to question him, hoping to incriminate Christ. is what ends up happening. It says in verse 13, they brought, they brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. Now the days on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was on the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. I think that's a good question, right? So the man replies, he's a prophet. And after multiple questionings, Scripture says, this, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. And is, is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? Now listen to the parents' reply because, again, I think this is really odd, especially as a dad now. This kind of amazes me, and it's, it's sad in some ways. The parents reply in verse 20, We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So the parents were afraid to get in trouble with the religious leaders so that they passed the buck to their son. That's literally what they're doing. I mean, consider their comment about him being of age. This probably meant that the man was likely, this, 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 this person that was healed and born blind, it was mo- they were most likely questioning his parents in some ways because he probably looked young enough that maybe he wasn't of age yet. You see, in, in, in their culture, it was, you were usually considered adult around the age of 13, and this would have been a stunning sight to see a young man standing before a group of town leaders giving testimony to Jesus. So sadly, in this situation, you have this young man in some ways having to stand on his own and his own parents not in, in very many ways not standing up for what is going on because of why? Because they're living in so much fear for what the synagogue believes. You know, sadly, the book of Revelation talks about a day coming, right? Where things might not be so bright for those of us who are Christians, and we've seen this happen in different parts of our, our, our human history, where we've seen persecution, 
where we've seen Christians being treated poorly because of their beliefs, and the pressure in those times is to cave into society and not say what you know for out of fear of what might end up happening. And that's exactly where the parents were living in. They were living in fear that if they testified to the truth of what happened, that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. And that's just not, you can't come to Peace Mennonite Community Church anymore. That's, you can't engage in society. And that created a fear in their hearts. But in some ways, it just paints the amazing picture even more of this young man who probably looked young enough to not be able to speak up for himself, but yet was just barely old enough to do it. And I love his reply. He says this in the midst of this situation, this young man. He says, he replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. The world told this man he was a failure, but God said that he was chosen. The world thought he was a liar, but God turned him into a powerful witness. The world thought that his life would never amount to anything, but God made his life a miraculous story of history that we're still telling to today. The world thought him weak, but God thought him worthy of being able to proclaim his name. This is the power of God. This is the power of what the gospel can bring. It takes lowly things and it shapes them into mirrors of glory. If God can do it for this man, for a tax collector, for a prostitute, for broken people, for people that are oftentimes downtrodden and cast out into their society, the worst of sinners, then he can do it for you. Church, start looking at your story, start looking at your pain, start looking at the things that you experience in life, and stop instead, it it stops trying to just think about what you've done wrong, and instead think about how God can glorify it. I mean, don't get me wrong, some of our pain is self-inflicted, right? Because ultimately, the breakdown of this world and the pain that exists in this world is a product of sin. But don't get so fixed on finding fault in yourself or in other people that you fail to let God use your story into one of restoration and one that ultimately glorifies who He is. My last point for today is there will be a day when the pain ends. Even though right now, especially if you're older in age, you've lived a life where you've seen a lot of pain, you've seen a lot of suffering, we need to remind ourselves that there is a day that pain will come to an end. That even though the wages of sin is death, what does that or the rest of that scripture say? Go ahead and put it on the screen for me again, Abel. 
the rest of that scripture says that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? So the story doesn't end there. Yes, sin leads to death. But that's exactly why Jesus came into this world to end that pattern of death in our lives and instead to offer offer his gift of us, his gift of life. We can't forget that, church. We can't forget that God will put an end to this one day. When he will say, enough is enough. The world has experienced the, the maximum amount of sin I will permit. And in that, just as it says in Revelations 21.4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The story ends in John 9.30. It says, the man answered. Now, this is remarkable. Because you see, they continued to not believe in his testimony. And he says, now, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do nothing. To this replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. So what ends up happening in this moment? This man's life ends up glorifying God. It gives the whole entire culture that he lives in an opportunity to see a third option that not every pain, suffering, and, and blindness in this life is a direct result of sin, but that God can restore things. And where do they go immediately right back to? Their habit of finding fault. And they point out once more that his, he's been steeped in sin his whole life. Church, I want to encourage you as we prepare for our closing and our prayer right now, that the world wants to bring you down, but the Lord wants to bring you to a place where you are reflecting His glory. I pray that you would take hope in that and that you would take time this week to think about the pains that you have gone through in life. And instead of associating that immediately with the sin in your life or immediately with finding fault in every circumstance and situation, that you would go before the Lord, that you would confess your sins, yes, that you would make things known, yes, but that ultimately that you would allow God to start to change your heart and change your life so that you can reflect His glory. Amen? Let's pray.